Well, last week we were blessed to be with our entire family in Virginia. It was a blast to be with our four daughters and their husbands along with our seven grandchildren. And each morning while we were there, I got up early and went for a run. Okay, it was more like a trot. (laughs) And I did that in a vain attempt to counteract all the Christmas cookies I ate. Well, one morning when I went out for a run, I ran past a mailbox. It was by the side of the road. The mailbox was so full that a number of bills and letters had fallen to the ground. I didn't pay much attention to that when I first ran past, but when I circled back a few minutes later and came past it again, I stopped. And I looked down at the ground, and I looked at some of the correspondence, and on some of the envelopes, I saw a word, a phrase like this, open immediately. Another envelope was marked personal and confidential. Well, I didn't really know what to do, but I thought, this, something's going to happen to all this stuff on the ground, and so I decided to gather up all the rogue mail, and I carefully placed everything back in the mailbox. Now, as we begin the new year, God has addressed a letter that he wants you and I to open and to comprehend. I'm going to invite you to turn in your New Testament to a letter. Uh, We know it as the book of Ephesians. This letter is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It was written, the human author, by the Apostle Paul. And it was addressed to believers located in a city named Ephesus. Thus, it's called Ephesians. And this correspondence is so personal and so powerful that you and I will not want to let any part of this letter fall to the ground. I'm going to invite you to stand now in honor of God's word, and we're going to read the first part of chapter one together. Uh, During the message, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in front of you. It'd be helpful for you to follow along in in the copy of Scripture in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you need a Bible, take that Bible as our gift to you. Before we read, let's just take a breath and remind ourselves what we're doing here. We're continuing in worship. This is God's word, and it's alive. It's active. It's sharp. It's inspired. It's inerrant, and it's authoritative. So we're going to come underneath the teaching of God's word today, and let's read it together. We're commanded in the Bible to give attention to the public reading of the scriptures. Join me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. 
in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth in him. We have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You may be seated. Holy Spirit, we now ask that you would be our teacher. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would be open and ready to hear and to apply what you have for us today, and we trust that that will take place in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm not going to take a lot of time to give background information on the church at Ephesus, but if you'd like more information, you can do a search on our website. Go to the On Mission sermon series from the book of Acts. Uh, we preach through the book of Acts uh, verse by verse, and in the month of September of 2021, uh, we spent some time focused on what God did at Ephesus, or you could read Acts chapter 19. Suffice it to say, the Apostle Paul is in prison, and he's writing to the church at Ephesus, a place where he had spent three years teaching and discipling these believers. Ephesus is located in what we know as Turkey today. Now, perhaps you're wondering, why Ephesians? Why are we going to be going through this book? Well, I was drawn to it because of the emphasis upon Christ, the emphasis upon the church, and the emphasis upon our position in Christ as Christians. Charles Spurgeon said this about Ephesians, whoever would see Christianity in one treatise, let him read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest the epistle to the Ephesians. Kent Hughes adds Ephesians, carefully, reverently, prayerfully considered, get this, will change our lives. It's not so much a question of what we will do with the epistle, but what it will do with us. And so here's an assignment right at the beginning of the series. Read through the entire book of Ephesians at least once a week between now and Easter. Now, in many of Paul's letters, he's writing to address problems, problems with unity, problems with sin, problems with immorality, issues that were going on in the church. You can see that when he writes his letter called 1 Corinthians not so with the book of Ephesians. In fact, Paul, many times, I wonder if Paul would write a letter, would want to write a letter to the church in America today. This meme captures it well. If Paul saw the church in America today, we'd be getting a letter. <laughs> I came across this creative slide from a pastor which summarizes how Paul commonly greeted a church. 
grace. I thank God for you. Hold fast to the gospel. For the love of everything holy, stop being stupid. (laughs) Timothy says hi. (laughs) In Ephesians, we don't see that. Here's what we do see. Paul's passion for the gospel. His passion for the glory of God. He is so enthralled with it that he heaps blessing upon blessing. And he even forgets all rules of grammar. He he has this sentence that starts in verse 3. If you glance at verse 3, all the way down to verse 14 is one sentence in Greek. It's like he starts writing about the glory of the gospel and all the blessings, and he can't stop. He just thinks of other clauses to add. He's aching for believers to know their position in Jesus Christ. That's chapters 1 through 3, and then he wants us to put that into practice, chapters 4 through 6. The first three chapters contain rich doctrine, The second half of Ephesians deals with our duty. I find Watchman Nee's outline helpful. Chapters 1 through 3, sit. Chapters 4 and 5, walk. Chapter 6, stand. Stand against the evil one in evil days. So our position in Christ is one of sitting. Our life in the world is one of walking. And our attitude towards Satan must involve standing against him. Another commentator suggests this outline, wealth, that's chapters one through three, walk, four and five, and warfare, chapter six. And all of that, friends, should lead us to wonder and to worship. Well, let's dive in. Verse one begins with the briefest of all Paul's salutations. He identifies himself as Paul, which means small. He was actually named for King Saul in the Old Testament, who was tall, but he now goes by Paul. Kent Hughes suggests Paul's smallness became the medium for God's bigness, his weakness, a channel for God's power. Note he refers to himself as an apostle. That means a sent one. Paul has no authority in and of himself, but because he's sent out by Jesus Christ, by the will of God, he has authority. He was saved and sent. And Paul addresses his recipients as saints. Do you know if you're a believer, you're a saint? You're like, well, I don't act like a saint. Well, the Bible says we are saints. It's not just those who are super spiritual. It's not those canonized by the Pope. Literally, a saint is one who is set apart as holy. J. Vernon McGee used to say there are only two types of people, saints and ain'ts. And notice these saints are in Ephesus and in Christ Jesus. Paul uses that phrase, in Christ, nine times in the first 14 verses, 27 times in the letter. And so if you're born again, you are irrevocably united in Christ at conversion. So if you're a believer, you were always in two places at the same time. Some of you are here right now in person, but your mind's somewhere else, right? So come on back. Hope you had a nice trip. But really, you're in two locations if you're a believer. You are in Christ, and you're here. 
or you're in Christ and you're engaging online. When you go to work, you are in Christ and you're in your workplace. If you're a student, you are in Christ and you're on your campus or in homeschool. So write this down. Your purpose is tied to your place. Friends, we cannot let this letter fall to the ground because it is for the saints in the Quad Cities who are in Christ Jesus. In verse 2, Paul gives a greeting of grace and peace. Grace always comes before peace. We need to be reconciled to God. We need to respond to his grace, his unmerited favor, and then we're reconciled to God by his grace, and we can be at peace with him and with others. So with all that as introduction, we come now to this exuberant exposition of praise in verses 3 through 14. Kent Hughes writes, clause tumbles after clause in this grand poem of praise. Well, here's our main idea. God blesses us, so we will bless him with our lives. Paul is following the model of the Hebrew barakah, or a blessing song. He writes with this buoyant joy. Oh, check out verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Watch this, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That word bless means to speak well of, to praise. We get our word eulogy from this Greek word. One commentator says the idea is to praise with worshiping love. Doctrine must always lead to doxology, Our position before him should lead to lives of praise. Well, let's go through this verse slowly, and we'll pick up the pace after this, but would you notice God has blessed us in the past. We can have certainty and assurance that he has already blessed us. The word us shows these blessings are for all believers, not just those from a Jewish background, but also for those from a Gentile background. By the way, this is the same word used by Elizabeth when she exclaimed with a loud cry to Mary in Luke 142, blessed are you among women. Friends, every believer is just as blessed as Mary was. There are not categories of blessings If you're a believer, you've already been blessed. There aren't like some who've been more blessed spiritually than others. No, there are no second-class Christians. These blessings come only to those in Christ. Lewis Ferry Chafer writes, to be in Christ is to partake of all that Christ has done, all he is, and all that he ever will be. Would you notice next? We have every blessing we need right now. We're not lacking anything. We don't need an extra word from the Lord. We don't need a prophetic utterance. Everything we need to know is found in the Bible and every blessing we need has already been given to us. Is that not good news, church? We don't need a second blessing because We've already been given thousands upon thousands of blessings. 
When we receive Christ, we receive everything that God has for us. We are complete in Christ. Do you believe that? And some of us don't. We're like, no, I don't know about that. And so we think we have to perform or do penance. And friends, notice these blessings are primarily spiritual. They're not material. And finally, we can't see these blessings because they are in the heavenly places. But that place is higher and better and more secure than any earthly blessing. To say it another way, you're seated in the heavenlies with Christ even while living down here in the dumps. And this passage can be outlined according to specific blessings from the individual members of the Trinity. Watch this. We see in verses 4 through 6, the selection of God the Father. Next, in verses 7 through 12, the sacrifice of God the Son. And then finally, verses 13 and 14, the seal of God the Holy Spirit. And after celebrating the role of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Paul can't help but respond with amplified praise. So let me just point out, if you'd look at verse 6, to the praise of his glorious grace. Drop down to verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. So when Paul, in this long run-on sentence, as he's describing all these blessings, as he focuses on the selection of the Father and what the Son has done and what the Holy Spirit does, he breaks out into praise. This makes me think of 15 young adults in our Mainspring ministry who gathered with 11,000 believers this past week at the Cross Conference in Louisville to learn how to live undefeated lives. They gathered for the praise of God's glory and to hear about spreading the fame of God's name to the nations, especially to the three billion unreached by the gospel. These are our young adults. Here's what Pastor Kyle texted during the conference. They are buying lots of books, taking lots of notes, have had some great conversations with some of our young adults dealing with confession and repentance. I heard this week there's a group of Edgewood people forming the movement team to focus on praying for unreached people groups. Their first meeting is tomorrow night. If you need more details, see Pastor Dan. I don't know if you're aware, but in addition to the Cross Conference, this past week, 60,000 college students gathered in Atlanta for Passion Conference, where they worshiped and they heard from God's Word. Worship and verse-by-verse teaching from God's Word. Friends, God is reviving Gen Z by giving them zeal for His glory. Friends, God blesses us, so we will bless him with our lives. So let's look at the selection of God the Father. According to verse 4, our possession of every spiritual blessing is as certain (laughs) as being chosen by him. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Now, part of why we're chosen, notice, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
That word chose means to select. We were selected before the beginning of the world and we were chosen before we did anything or before we've been anything for God. I'm reminded of what Jesus said in John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. The bottom line is we would never have chosen him if he had not first chosen us. Would you note God's choosing of us not only leads to our salvation, but also to our sanctification. To be holy means to be set apart. To be blameless has the idea of spotless. Now, my guess is, I can't read you, but my guess is some of you are struggling with the idea of God choosing people. Well, if so, you may have even more difficulty with verse (laughs) 5. Well, let's look at verse 5. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, before you put push back on predestination, let's at least agree that this is a biblical word. It's found both here in verse 5, but also look at verse 11. It also appears in Acts 4:28, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, and Romans chapter 8, 28 to 30. So at its core, the word means to decree or determine beforehand. I like Charles Spurgeon's perspective. Some will be ready to say, Why preach upon so profound a doctrine as election? I answer, because it is in God's word and whatever is in the word of God is to be preached. So four years ago, I preached an entire sermon. Uh, Some people are like, man, you got courage or maybe you're not very smart. I preached an entire sermon and I entitled that election and free will. Here's part of what I shared. Perhaps you'll find it helpful. I'm not sure why Christians go to war over this, but I've seen it firsthand, and you probably have as well. This subject has caused friendships to fracture, churches to split, and divided Christians into doctrinal tribes. Too often we debate between those who celebrate election and those who celebrate free will, and that has failed to glorify God, promote evangelism, or build up believers. Instead of creating more controversy, this was my appeal, let's commit to act Christianly toward those with a different view. Instead of dividing, let's become more devoted to each other. Instead of whacking others, let's be filled with wonder and worship. Instead of fighting, let's ask God to grow our faith. Instead of battling each other, let's bind together to reach people with the gospel. Let's grow in awe of God and in grace toward each other. And then... Here was my attempt to take centuries of discussion and distill it all down to one sentence. Here's my attempt at resolving it. Here it is. God is supremely sovereign and we are responsible for our response to him. So I went through 10 passages that celebrate election And then I went through 10 passages that establish the necessity of believing faith. And then I ended the message with 10 scriptures that contain both election and our responsibility to respond in the same passage. In fact, we're going to see that in just a few minutes. Perhaps this illustration would be helpful. Think of a large cross and there's a door, the bottom of the cross, And over that door, it says, 
Whosoever will may come, available for everyone. Once you go through that door and you glance back, there's a sign over the door that you can see once you're in, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Notice, we are predestined in love, and it leads to what? Adoption, which literally means to place. Oh, mark this. God does all this in love (laughs) because he loves us. I'm reminded of something one of our grandchildren wrote recently. We received a picture of this. It's one of our grandsons. I'll need to interpret it (laughs) for you. So he's drawing hearts there in the red, and I think those two images at the top left are also hearts, and that's a picture of him. And here's what the words say. I like to be loved. Don't you? And some of you might feel like no one loves me. My relationship blew up, my spouse. Or maybe you're just, you've just been going through really hard times and you don't think you're loved. Listen, you are loved. You are loved by the God of the universe who in love has demonstrated his love. Listen to Romans 8, 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba. That's the word for daddy. Abba, father. Now, under Roman law, when the adoption was complete, the one adopted had all the rights of the new family that he was adopted into and all the debts and obligations of the old previous family were abolished as if they had never existed. It hit me this week that those who are adopted actually have an advantage because they know they were chosen and placed into a family who loves them. This is all done according to the purpose of his will. The New Living Translation renders it like this. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. Our son-in-law, Lucas, posted something on Facebook on Friday. God has a unique plan and purpose for your life, which he will unfold according to his timetable. So... Some get worked up about election and predestination, but I would argue that it should lead us to worship. Look at what happens next, verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. To praise means to applaud God for his glorious grace. As we learned in our Christmas Eve services, the word glory refers to heavy in weight, important, significant, having a great reputation and splendor, brightness, beauty, worthiness, honor. God's glory is the sum total of all of his attributes. It has to do with the fame of his name and represents his presence and his power. Now, we certainly don't understand how God works everything out, do we? but we choose to trust him because we have been blessed in the beloved. Friends, God blesses us so we will bless him with our lives. Notice number two, the sacrifice of God the Son. We turn now to the role of the second member of the Trinity and we celebrate the sacrifice of Jesus on our behalf. 
Oh, would you and I savor, verse 7, in him we have what? Redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Redemption always involves a price being paid for the freedom that's been purchased. The concept of redemption reminds us that we were slaves to sin and we've been purchased at the cost of his blood, resulting in our forgiveness. Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. 1 Peter 1.19, we've been ransomed by the precious blood of Christ. Oh, I love how descriptive the language is here. We've been forgiven according to the riches of his grace. Look at verse 8. This forgiveness was, it wasn't reluctantly given. See the word? Lavished upon us. That means to superabound, to have an excess. God goes over and above to forgive us. Oh, listen to this word picture, Micah 7, 19. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. And then he changes the image. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. Aren't you glad about that? Hmm. And we don't deserve any of that. According to verse 9, this results in making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. So believers get the blessing of learning about the mysteries of God and living out his purpose for our lives. Colossians 1.26, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to the saints. We'll get into more of that in chapter 2. Verse 10 explains or helps us see that this plan will unite all things in him. Verse 11 adds that we'll obtain an inheritance. And all of this, according to verse 12, here it is again, is according to the praise of his glory. The goal of God's plan culminates in the praise of his glory. So friends, I hope we're getting this. God blesses us so we will bless him with our lives. God the Father selects us. God the Son sacrifices his life for us. That leads to the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the absolute assurance and eternal security found in verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, notice what happened, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Oh, observe the importance of hearing the gospel, and believing in Jesus. So here's the mystery of God's sovereignty and human responsibility in the same chapter. So twice, predestination, first part of chapter one, the word chosen, and now we see no one is saved without hearing and heeding the gospel message. I mean, we see that in Romans 10, 14. How then will they call on him whom they've not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? Ah, but watch this. Once you hear the gospel, once you believe that Jesus died in your place and rose again, and once you repent and receive him into your life, you will be saved. You will be forgiven of your sins. And there's even more you will be sealed 
with the promised Holy Spirit. In the Bible, a seal was imprinted often by a signet ring, which conveyed authenticity and ownership. It was used for security and safekeeping. We see that when we went through the book of 2 Timothy this summer, but God's firm foundation stands, chapter 2, verse 19, bearing this seal, the Lord knows those who are his. So if you've been born again by his spirit, by his grace, for his glory, the Lord knows those who are his. And the Holy Spirit serves as our assurance that we are God's possession and will always be under his protection. Michael Radelnik, who hosts Open Line on Moody Radio on Saturday mornings from 9 to 11, you might recognize that name. Michael Radelnik spoke here during our prophecy conference. Uh, He has a way of saying things that help us remember them. This is what he said. It's just one sentence. It's so good. He said this, if you can't earn your way to salvation by being good, how can you lose your salvation by being bad? Oh, that's so helpful. Verse 14 adds, in addition to sealing us, the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The word guarantee was a down payment, a first installment. In our culture, we might use the phrase earnest money. And so the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 8.23, serves as first fruits of more to come. 2 Corinthians 5, 5 says, he has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the spirit as a guarantee. 2 Corinthians 1, brings both the sealing and the guaranteeing work of the spirit together. Check this. And who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Oh, observe once again. All these blessings should lead us to the praise of his glory. God blesses us, so we'll bless him with our lives. So friends, let's bless God and praise him for his glorious grace. I want to list the 10 bursts of blessings that we see in this passage. After walking through the outline, I went back over and and just saw 10 blessings. I'm putting them up on the screen. And as we go through these, I wonder, is there one that you savor the most? Is there one you have a hard time believing? I talked to someone after the service last night. He said, you asked us to savor just one? How about all 10? Listen to them. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We've been chosen to be holy and blameless. We've been predestined for adoption, redeemed through the blood of Jesus, forgiven of all trespasses, lavished with his grace, granted understanding of his will. We've obtained an inheritance. We've been sealed with the Holy Spirit, and we've been guaranteed future blessings. I just got goosebumps going through that. I don't deserve any of that. Right? Thank you. None of us deserve it. And if we got what we deserved, we would be in huge trouble. So this leads to a question. Since he has blessed you in the beloved, how will you in turn bless him this year? I'm going to share some applications which, well, they have the potential to change your life. (laughs) 
These applications have the potential to change how you live and how you give of your time, your treasures, and your talents. Seriously, they're that profound. And so maybe you're thinking, man, you're really overselling these applications. <laughs> well, let me share them and, and you consider. that You may find some, some traction here. They might find some traction in your life and they might be something you've not thought about or not thought about for a while. Okay, with all of that as a buildup, <laughs> let me share number one. Instead of always asking God to bless you, God bless me, God bless me, bless my family, bless this, bless that. Start living in light of the blessings he's already given you. 2 Peter 1.3 says that we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. I wonder when we're always asking God to bless, to bless, to bless, if if God is like, I already have. Now live those blessings out. I think of Joshua 1, 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you. God's people went into the land of promise. God promised it to them. They had to go in and take it. They had to walk on it. They had to take what had already been granted to them by living out the blessing bestowed upon them. I think again of Spurgeon, those who deserve nothing should be content with anything. And God has given us thousands upon thousands of blessings. Friends, this year, let's start living those out. Number two, this is not original with me, but powerful. Instead of asking God to bless what you're doing, figure out what God is already blessing and join him there. And sometimes we have dreams and plans. God bless my dreams, bless my plans, and God certainly cares, right? And, and we can go to him with everything, but, but let's flip that a little bit and say, God, how are you blessing? Where are you blessing? And then help me to join you there. Henry Blackaby says it profoundly. So many Christians try to come up with ways they can serve God and then ask him to bless their efforts, but the more biblical approach is to observe what God is already doing around us around us, and join him in that work. Number three, instead of focusing on your material blessings, let's celebrate the spiritual blessings that God has given to us. And often we think blessings, we think material things, tangible things, and those who've been given a lot, and we can see those material blessings, but there's sometimes people who don't have many material blessings think they're lacking. Well, let's focus more on spiritual blessings that God has given us. One pastor gives this warning. A modern heresy teaches that it's God's will for all of his children to be healthy and wealthy in this life. The false prophets of this cult live in large mansions, drive expensive cars, indulge themselves in every flagrant luxury that they can, luring their gullible
gullible followers with promises of the same. Friends, thankfully, Pastor Paul has listed here a number of spiritual blessings in this extended sentence of exaltation. So even though we've been blessed in so many ways, like you, I trip up and I fall. I mess up. I sin. Well, what do we do then? One morning, I went out for a run when we were in Virginia, and one of my daughters said she needed some eggs, and I thought, well, there's a Walmart nearby, so I went out to Walmart and uh, picked up some eggs and was running on my way back, and my toe hit a piece of metal, (laughs) and I fell to the ground, and I rolled a few times. This isn't the first time that's happened to me. That happened about four years ago. I think I should just stop running. (laughs) But when I got back, I opened up the eggs and I saw that only one of the eggs was broken. Well, friends, we all fall and we all fail, so here's the question. What do you do when that happens? Do you beat yourself up or do you allow God to pick you up? God loves to forgive and restore us when we repent and return to him. And if you've not yet trusted Christ for salvation, now is the time to do so. If you're a Christ follower, you've been drifting, you've become cold toward him, you've fallen, it's time to return to him. Maybe your love has grown cold for the Lord. Interestingly, Jesus also wrote a letter to the church at Ephesus, which you and I cannot allow to fall to the ground. Well, that letter is recorded in Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, I have this against you, words of Jesus, you've abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Remember, repent, and repeat. 